Welcome to the 42nd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we are talking about the staggering array of software license options and how to navigate them. So there's two things that I wish to make very clear. One, we are not lawyers. Nope, not at all. Two, if you're writing code, put a license on it. I'm not saying don't license your code. I'm saying that this, we're not trying to convince you what license to use for that. But there is an amazing amount of folks that have tossed up code on GitHub, and some of that's useful code. But they, for whatever reason, don't take the 30 seconds to apply a license file to the code, which means no one can use it. That code is proprietary. So... If we can stop right here, I want everyone to know, license your code. And at this point, really, the only proprietary code that anybody should even be considering is something you're buying from a large vendor, like you're buying Oracle for whatever business reason. If you are looking at things other than other than Oracle level or Adobe licensing, do not look at proprietary licenses for things. What you're looking for, I almost guarantee, is available to you under some form of permissive license. And the question is which permissive license you're looking for. One of the most common licenses is the GPL license. And there's been several versions of it that have come along, but they are designed explicitly with the end user's rights in mind. The idea being that you preserve and maintain copyright, but you also preserve the freedom of the end user to take the code, inspect the code, modify it, and then redistribute it as they see fit for other people's benefit. It is one of the most widely dis distributed licenses, I would say, at this point. The Linux kernel is GPL, and many other things that you use every day, whether you know it or not, are under the GPL. One of the things to keep in mind is that in today's open source licensing world, the GPL is not really considered a permissive license anymore. Um, due to what folks have, have referred to as the viral um, issues with the GPL. So if you have a GPL'd piece of software, you use it as part of another piece of software, a larger piece of software, then that entire piece of software has to be GPL'd and open source and distributed. There are some exceptions there, but that viral nature has in in modern times sort of steered a lot of folks away from from the GPL and we're seeing a lot of folks with uh, MIT licenses, BSD licenses and those have really started to overshadow the GPL as far as their popularity in, in new software projects. One of the things that I always found very interesting with the GPL is that it served in a way, a previous time better than it serves today. In the late 90s and the early 2000s, almost all software, the, almost all, all software licensing was intended for relicensing. Whereas, because because people were doing, people were writing code with the intent of, of distributing it as a project or as a package. Exactly. Or, or Nagios or whoever it was, was building something and then redistributing the code outside and trying to make sure that the code they had incorporated for whichever library was permissible. 
But now in the days of web services, people don't ship a binary to a lot of folks. You have a, a web service that there's an API endpoint to, and what so what software license was used to write and maintain and host that API, nobody really worries about anymore. So in a way, the GPL versus BSD stuff is is a transitioning argument because people are shipping less actual software these days. Software as a service. So I had a lovely um, story about this since this touches on a, uh, a very dear point to my heart. I used to be, I guess technically still am, the maintainer of a project called Current, which was an open source Red Hat network server. And this was back in the day before Spacewalk, before they open sourced that protocol, where the the controlling factor of Red Hat's updates was this closed source piece of software that distributed all of their updates. It still exists. You can still look at the code. It's bad Python. It's bad Python. But um, it's licensed under the GPL v2. And one of the things, one of the features that I always wanted to have and didn't was a slick web interface. Clearly, if you've used uh, Red Hat Network stuff in the past or even now, it's got a pretty slick Web 2.0 API-based interface. My code, um, which other people had contributed to, I had uh, previous maintainers, we got to supporting the RHN protocol pretty well, but we never uh, built the, uh, the user interface on top of it. So that was definitely one of the features I was, was hoping someone would contribute. And I got some email one day from a developer, a person, uh, a foreign national uh, compared to me, uh, who had written a user interface in Zoop. And this was back in the days when Zoop was cool. And his goal in life was to to get me to help him, of course, maintain current. He had the Zoop interface that he was integrating, and he wanted to have his own Red Hat compatible distribution and sell software updates to it. Now, I kind of saw through his business plan pretty quick. Um, I knew it wouldn't be around long because maintaining distribution is hard work. And just kind of forward patching Red Hat stuff without any added value is not going to attract the customer base then either. And he would not, and adamantly so, would not release uh, the Zope user interface code as open source uh, because he wanted to use this to make money. Um, and I was not pleased with this arrangement and did not participate. Um, and I made several cases that the code he was using should be open source and distributed. But this fell down into the, I, I was fresh out of college. I wasn't going to afford a lawyer to talk to a, another foreign national who would have to, no, not going there. Um, and it's not that the definition of linking in Python was also not a great argument to stand on. 
and I realized that that I had used, or the, the maintainers before me had chosen poorly for licensing. I was creating an open source version of RHN, which had no open source alternatives. I was interested in that code being open source and having contributions remain open source in perpetuity. The GPL was seemed a great fit. But you don't have to distribute your changes or you don't have to make your changes to the code public if you don't distribute it. Which is the one difference with the Alfero, uh, uh, the Afro GPL license, which considers if you if your software runs as a service and people can interact with it over the web, that is considered distribution in the Afro GPL. Which had I used that license or gotten that license applied to the code by the agreement of all the other past maintainers and contributors, then my friend's uh, Zoop interface would have had to have been made uh, open source. But as it stood with a normal GPL, I was kind of fresh out of luck. And that was a, was really a rude uh, sort of awakening to GPL and licensing stuff and, and doing open source development. The other piece of the GPL that always catches my eye that I'm never entirely clear on and the courts haven't decided this either is what is a what is a derivative work technically what is linking what is a derivative work it's it's really easy to say you took this piece of code and you changed lines 55 through 74 and that's a derivative work because you based your code on this other piece of code that's 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 open and shut but the question is when you link two pieces of code together and you tie their functionality together but they're not actually in the same files where does it count? Or with it, when you compile it on the, oh, they're, they're in similar shared objects, where does it count? And the GPL is, is very clear, or it, it tries to be very clear about if you link stuff together, it is considered a derivative work and you're in. Um, there's a re- relatively famous case with Sun. Sun created a an open source-ish, permissive-ish license called the CDDL that was an attempt of theirs to make a more business-friendly license but unfortunately caused themselves all kinds of problems and let's hear like ibm's uh, ipl license that was a winner yeah. so the cddl specifically allowed mixing files of different licensing together as long as you had the right licenses yourself and then you could relicense the resulting binaries there was a bunch of weird legalese to it but one of the upshots of this was it was directly incompatible with the GPL. You, you could not make GPL contributions to the CDDL license and, and vice versa, which is why to this day, ZFS is not a first-class citizen on Linux because either Sun was not aware of this or was aware of this one's being, well, Sun, about it. So the CDDL code never fits inside the GPL box. The Linux kernel and Linux kernel module issue has exemplified this particular issue for some time now. Is a kernel module a derivative work of the kernel? Is does the kernel module does the kernel link into a module or vice versa? And that's that's always been sort of the derivative or the 
the argument that folks have made about different uh, licenses and GPL compatibility and the viral nature thereof. Because there have been and still are quite a few closed sourced or differently licensed uh, code um, or Linux kernel modules that are available for use today. And this also gets back to the whole distribution versus use. If Red Hat were to distribute you a a bunch of software that had mixed licensing in it, that could be a problem. If you were to later on yourself as an end user go download, compile, and install something, there's no problem because you're again you're consuming it, you're not distributing it, and that's one of the big pieces where the GPL gets interesting. Um, yeah, that's the that's the ZFS issue. There is no legal reason to keep you from using ZFS with Linux. Not at all. It's all about distributing the ZFS code with Linux, which the lawyers at Ubuntu have taken the brave step and done their homework and hired lawyers to argue that that is not legally encumbered in any way. And the most recent versions of Ubuntu support ZFS out of the box now, which is really awesome. And really useful. The other thing to keep in mind with the GPL is version 3 makes some interesting and notable changes, not all of them popular. Um, I think they're generally a good idea, but again, this is everybody's individual cups of tea. The GPL version 3 has an explicit patent grant in it as part. So if you develop code releasing the GPL version 3, you are giving a license to whatever patents of yours are contained in that code to the people who are using it. You can't then go sue them for patent violation for using code that you wrote. And There's a similar clause to that in the Apache license. And I think this is brilliant. I, I'm of the opinion that patents generally need to go away. I can't think of a... Of a eh, for software. I, I can't think of a good way to write legislation that says, we're going to allow the good patents in this field while getting rid of the bad patents in these other fields. It's true, but mathematical formulas cannot be patented. True, but there's that's a whole other conversation that doesn't really belong in this podcast, unfortunately. <laughs> Next but, week on... Oh, wait. Um, but V3 of the GPL made a bunch of changes like this, and notably, at this when the, v, when the GPL V3 launched, Apple started pulling back from any software license into the GPL, and because they're... OS X is primarily BSD licensed, but they started rapidly withdrawing from supporting and updating packages that were GPL licensed because Apple is not going to get involved in anything where they they are even seen as possibly giving away patent grants to anybody because, again, Apple likes to sue people for patents, which is, I think, ridiculous, but it's part of what they do. And really, this is probably the issue why OS X is BSD-based rather than Linux-based. Well, it started as BSD-based because the BSD license allows for profitable resale and other things. In a, in a way, it was, it was more of a business-friendly license than the GPL was in that sense. It allows you to modify and maintain and, and do other things with the code that the GPL was more strict about. You don't have to, to distribute your modifications, even if you distribute the compiled binaries. still have to give credit to people there's there's a bunch of different pieces and different ways of writing the bsd licenses there's a four clause there's a three clause there's a zero clause and tiny box there's a couple of of weird variations of the bsd license four clause isn't really used at all um 
for the advertisement clause in it. That's just weird. The three clause is pretty uh, common nowadays. I think that's what uh, Google's Go language is licensed under, uh, which has the non-endorsement clause, which means you can't write a piece of software in Go and then say that your software is powered by Google. Uh, no, it's your code. You wrote it. Sorry. Um, there's the two clause uh, BSD license, which removes the no endorsement clause. The three clause and the two clause are the most popular. Um, if you're not using those, I would suggest the MIT license, which is just simple attribution only. Well, it, it's also releasing yourself from indemnity of of the code. You're saying basically, I wrote this code. It is it is delivered to you as is. If you are stupid you may not enough, hold me liable. Yeah, if you're stupid enough to run this on a nuclear reactor and you have a core dump and you like a literal core dump and you blow up, you know, a city block, it's not my fault that you ran my code. And there are another there are there are a number of other copyright licenses you may run into. Really the the most popular ones are the BSD and the GPL licenses. The MIT I like a lot, but it's not as popular in my opinion, but there's other licensing that you can get. Um there's a number and of creative MIT commons. and the BSD licenses seem to be the most popular for writing software. Um, but yeah, if if you're licensing content that's not software, those licenses probably aren't a great fit. Um, you should, hint, hint, also license the content on your website, which is not all code. Um, and once you get into non-software, the Creative Commons pool of licensing is, is probably where you want to be. And they are very explicit and permissive, and there's a huge range of Creative Commons licensing. So if you want to let somebody copy and modify at will, or copy and credit you but not modify, or however you want to do it. And you can take the parts and kind of mix and match them together to build the license you want. I'll stick a link into the show notes that I think there's a there's a tool that lets you build these. And I'll, I'll put a link in the, in the show notes that, that points you in the right direction for that. But the magic of the Creative Commons is the pool of of media, of work that they have uh, built together that's under the same family of licenses, which means that you can interact with it in a legal sense in some very standardized ways, which makes a lot of things simpler. Uh, a lot of photographers do a wide selection of their photography under Creative Commons licensing, allowing for non-commercial redist- redistribution. So if somebody wants to use it as the masthead for a... Uh, a nonprofit's website or whatever, that's fine. But if a large multinational wants to use it in an ad campaign, you got to pay for it. And again, it's Or if it's your very... startup wants to use it, you have to pay for it. One of the things this all ties back into that we haven't really touched on yet is the fact that licensing and copyright are separate. If you have all of the copyright to a piece of code or a piece of any creative work, honestly, or you have the assignments of copyright from everybody else, you can license code under whatever you want, because you have the rights to it. If you have the rights and own the code, you can relicense the code at will. One of the things from the the Apple use of ZFS lawsuit and stuff was Apple was, was seeking a different licensing option from Sun before Oracle bought Sun. And I they had been in talks about it, but it hadn't actually happened. And then when, once Oracle purchased Sun, the talks fell apart entirely. These are all back-channel rumors, but it it plays out fairly well with what we know from the discussions. One of the uh, frequently asked questions about the Linux kernel is, 
now that we have the GPL v3, why can't the kernel transition to a v3 license? Isn't it plus one uber better? And again, this comes down to a copyright and ownership issue. With the Linux kernel, there was no requirement for folks to transfer ownership to any centralized authority when we commit code to it. So the, there are thousands of copyright and ownerships of the Linux kernel. Lots of folks are dead, which makes it very difficult to change the license on a kernel because you have to have every person that has ownership and copyright in the Linux kernel to agree to change the license. Which in the case for deceased folks is their estate, their spouse, their children, whoever is who succeeds them has to be able to sign off on these things. So in one sort of final bit about license foo, because I know it, and it's weird, is public domain code. In the U.S., public domain is kind of iffy and legally vague in, in certain ways, uh, which I am not a lawyer and don't really wish to know the details because I will get them wrong. And it's not something that I would usually suggest folks do with their code, although you can. But in the U.S., you have to purposely declare your code or your work to be part of the public domain, which means you give up all ownership and copyright rights to that code. But surprisingly enough, to do so, you <laughs> need a license. Um, there are some actual examples of how to do this. Um, what's that website? Choosealicense.com, which will be in our show notes. There's also tldrlegal.com. Let's see, other fun things when dealing with software and licenses. Are you a student at a university? Ah, wise question. If you're a student at a university, perhaps using university networks or university hardware or resources in some way, your university probably has some policy about uh, source code and creative artifacts that you may create. Uh, while you intend to create an open source uh, piece of software, the university may exert some form of ownership and rights to that code. This, of course, varies from institution to institution. Some institutions are a lot saner than others. But that's probably something you want to check out if you're, you're in that situation as well. Generally speaking, the larger the university and the more spinoffs have ha that have happened from that university that were profitable, that the university did not get to collect on, the more <laughs> ridiculous their policies become. Yeah. So and I, I say ridiculous, but I'm, that's not being fair. A lot of universities have great difficulty finding funding, and it irks them when Students, especially grad students, use their networks and their research and their campus and their, their student body to create something like Google and then runs off and makes a, several industry-changing inventions or companies. And a and, couple bazillion dollars. And the university gets the tuition. And universities are 
trying to find better ways to fund themselves because funding is very difficult for them these days. So they're, they're looking for frameworks under which they don't lose all control of these things. So BSD licenses are relatively permissive. MIT licenses are even more permissive and kind of common. The GPL is wonderful for the right reasons, but be careful to use it where it's appropriate and don't go overboard with it. The case of distribution versus software as a service. Um, if you're doing a startup or perhaps work at a larger company that writes software as a service in some form, there's probably some policies uh, from your legal team or from higher ups about which uh, software licenses for included works are acceptable for, for various reasons. And those are good policies to follow. Yes, make sure you have the blessing of your employer when you commit to a pro or you add code to a project or you do other work on a project to make sure that it is in line with the the legal frameworks that the legal team at your company has established. That wraps it up for the 42nd episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. And I'm Jack Neely. Please take the time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave a comment on the website at operations.fm. Send us your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm, or use at operations.fm on Twitter.